For our Old Testament scripture reading this morning, we will be turning to Psalm 66. Psalm 66. Shout for joy to God, all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Give to him glorious praise. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies come cringing to you. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There did we rejoice in him who rules by his might forever, whose eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. I will come into your house with burnt offerings. I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Come and hear, all you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and high praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened. He has attended to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be God, because he has not rejected my prayer or removed his steadfast love from me. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. And now for our New Testament reading, I would invite you to turn to Mark the book of Mark, chapter 2, where we will be reading verses 13 through 17. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at table in his house, Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners." This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Let us pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we turn to you now in your word, and we ask your blessing here to be with us. Your blessing, Lord, for understanding, for growth in knowledge, for growth in faith, for growth in life. We turn to you, knowing that you are our teacher Instruct us, we pray, all of your spirit, and we give this to you now, and come and minister to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Uh, we have likely uh, heard the question, what is the chief end of man? Uh, we might change that just a bit and say, what is the chief end of Good Shepherd Church? What is the chief end? Why are we here? What are our priorities? What is our chief end? Well, Good Shepherd's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is our chief end. Well, question, how do we do that? How do we go about glorifying the Lord? Well, according to Mark chapter 1, and frankly, according to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it is to take part. It's to be a part of the mission of our Savior. Jesus Christ came into the world to do one primary thing, and that is to spread the glory of God. That's why he came. And the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we're going to be looking at Mark 1 here in just a minute, or Mark 2, sorry. There is that fundamental, that essential matter that Christ came into this world to spread the glory of God. He has this purpose of being sent into the world, and now we're bid welcome. We're bid out of his grace and his mercy to come and follow him and to be about that same mission to spread the glory of God. That's why we're here. That's why Good Shepherd is here. This matter of being sent in the world regarding our Savior, there's not a clearer place to go to than when Jesus himself is praying to his Father, and in that prayer, he's praying about his mission. Just listen to a part of John 17 where Jesus is praying. I, it's almost at the end of the prayer in John 17. I do not ask for these only. At that moment, he's reflecting upon the disciples. I do not, I'm not here merely to be praying for the disciples, the Son of God says unto his Father. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. He's praying for us now. That they may be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. There it is. Then he goes a bit further. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. We're here to spread the glory of God. The glory that you gave to me, I have given to them. That they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me. Our Savior has this sent orientation. Our Savior has this sent perspective. And he's praying for our love and our service together, all with a view that we may take part in his own mission of being sent sent into the world to spread the glory of God. That's why he prays that the world may believe that you have sent me. Now back to Mark. Jesus Christ has been sent to spread the glory of God. And Mark, as well as the other gospel writers, is going to emphasize he spreads the glory of God through the kingdom of God. That word kingdom, that word kingdom is like one of those uh, speed signs there in your neighborhood that starts flashing. And that sign is letting you know your speed, right? 
And that's that word kingdom in the Gospels. It's a, it's a word that flashes at us. It's flashing at us because it's a major theme, the rule of God, the dominion of our God, the authority of our God, the power of our God is being put on display. That's what's flashing. Look at Mark 1.15 real fast with me. Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. That's his opening sermon. That's Jesus coming to preach. I like what one of the old Dutch men, one of the old Dutch theologians says about the kingdom of God. Please listen. The kingdom of God does not primarily mean the end of history. And expecting the kingdom of God does not fit in the first place, does not in the first place mean busying ourselves with the things of the last day. The kingdom of God enters into history. Because the kingdom of God has entered into the world, we must say that this world is full of the redemptive power of God. For the cross of Christ was placed in this world, and Christ rose here. The kingdom does not keep aloof from the world, but is seeking it and its wide relationships. It is seeking the peoples and the ends of the earth. It penetrates all relations, all the fields of life. Christ, for that reason, is the hope of this world. That's the kingdom of God. And Mark, in his gospel, is highlighting the glory of the sent Christ to spread the glory of God, which is indeed meaning to spread the kingdom of God. So now to our passage. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Two lessons for us. If you're taking notes this morning, here's the outline. The gospel work is expanding. The gospel work is expanding. And then secondly, Levi, by name, is exhibit 1A. <laughs> Let's look at the gospel work that is expanding. The glory of God is spreading. Look at verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13. And he went out again beside the sea. And all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. This episode, leading now into the call of Levi, the tax collector, the call of Levi, the spreading of the glory of God, the kingdom of God coming more and more upon the earth. This opening part here that he went out again is that code language of rehearsing for us Jesus' purposes, what he's about. He's about spreading the glory of God. He's about spreading the glory of God through the kingdom of God. He's about spreading the glory of God through the kingdom of God, of seeing the nation subdued to him, seeing sinners being called to him. He's out there again. That's the language. This is his rehearsal. This is what drives him. This is the heartbeat of your Savior. He's along that same place, physical place, the Sea of Galilee. And that's important because that's where he first called those first four men, Andrew and Peter and James and John. They're out there fishing. It's a summons once again. This is how the glory of God is spreading. He's beside the sea. It's that, that usual familiar territory there around Capernaum, Lake Galilee, Sea of Galilee. And there he's out 
showing forth how the kingdom of God is spreading. It's that speed sign. It's flashing. His rule, his power, his authority, his dominion. He's been given that name above all, every name. He is the head over the church to all things for the church. His rule, his power, his authority, his dominion, his kingdom is indeed expanding. Look to me, look with me once again back to Mark 1.15. It's such a theme verse in the Gospel of Mark. 1.15, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Jesus came. Check. The time is fulfilled. Check. With him, the kingdom of God came. Check. It is at hand. Check. Repentance and faith in Christ Jesus is the good news. Check. That's the flashing sign of the kingdom. And that flashing sign of the kingdom gets expanded upon throughout the New Testament. Paul the Apostle would be praying for the church at Ephesus. Just as we can substitute, he's praying for the church in Richmond. He's praying that we will grasp this rehearsal of all authority and dominion and power and wisdom and love being spread abroad in this world. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is not something down the road. And so how does Paul pray for the Ephesians? How does Paul pray for Good Shepherd? In Ephesians chapter 1, by faith we're united to Christ. By faith we walk in Christ. And then how does that walk get worked out? He's praying this way. How do we walk in him? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Paul is praying that the church at Ephesus would grasp that the glory of God through the kingdom of God, that rule, that authority, that power, that wisdom, and that love might spread. And those are the prayers of the New Testament for you. That the glory of God might spread. His glory spreads as churches walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And since he is Lord, he announced it, the kingdom of God is at hand. Since he is Lord and since, he, since all things are under his lordship, we long to see more and more of what someone has called his footstooling. That's what Jesus is doing this very hour. He is footstooling. Heaven is his throne and earth is his footstool. He is footstooling this morning. He is spreading his kingdom. He is expanding his glory. And it's all through his own person, who he is and his work, what he's done at Calvary's cross. And here's now the emphasis for us at Good Shepherd, because it flows out of the passage. 
The kingdom of God is spreading and it's clothed in relationships. It's clothed in relationships. Let's do a quick sweep over chapter 1 in Mark. A quick sweep. The kingdom of God is spreading. The nations are being subdued. All rule and authority and power and dominion and love and wisdom belongs to him. And lives are being changed. In Mark 1.16, I've referenced it. It's Simon and Andrew, James and John. They are fishermen. He announces the kingdom to these four men. Now, I don't know about you, but in our day and age, we might want to read Mark 1.16 a little bit differently. Maybe he wouldn't go by the Sea of Galilee in our day and age. Maybe he wouldn't be out looking for those four men, Andrew and Peter, James and John, who are fishing. Maybe, maybe he wants to go to Washington, D.C., or to the city of Austin. Maybe he should go to the legislators first and foremost, and I will make you more legislators of men. Maybe he should go to Manhattan and Wall Street and summon the business and the economists and the commercialization in our states nowadays. And I will make you businessmen of men. He doesn't do that. Matters of government, matters of banking and economics and commerce, matters of legislation, matters of the Supreme Court, matters of things going on in Austin, those things will come. They will be subdued by King Jesus. But first and foremost, it's through relationships with people. It's lives being touched by grace and truth where all authority and power and dominion and wisdom and love is, is, is being imparted to others. Jesus means first things first. I'm going to make you fishers of men. Relationships. That's where it starts. The Gospels start there. Matthew, Mark, look at that's where they start. Jesus knows about taxation. We're going to talk about that in a second. He knows about oppression of a Roman, Roman tyranny. He knows about these things. But men and women in high places, they're going to be affected by relationships first and foremost, those that are commissioned. Your commission. Your commission to take grace and truth to your neighbor. Your commission. That's how the glory of God spreads through the kingdom. His power and his rule and his authority and his dominion and his wisdom and love. It's clothed in relationships. Look at Mark one twenty one. It's another man who's in a Capernaum synagogue. He's demon-possessed. Jesus approaches him, knows the man. The man speaks with that demon in him. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus commands to the man, to the demon, be silent, come out of him. And the man is restored. Relationships are restored. Mark 1.30, put your finger, index finger there. At this time, it's Peter, Simon Peter's mother-in-law. She has some kind of illness, a fever, they're there probably at Simon's own home, and the place is filled with people all around. But again, once again, he heals her and restores her. She is restored to her service, this mother-in-law. 
Mark is telling us what the New Testament expands upon in terms of Jesus' work. The kingdom of God is spreading, and he has put all things, that's what the New Testament tells us, he has put all things under his feet, even this fever that this mother-in-law has, and given to him his head over all things to the church. Run down to Mark chapter 1, verse 40. This time it's a leper. You talk about relationships. This is one who's now abandoned. This is one who's forsaken. He's ostracized. He's a leper. He's unclean. And the Bible tells us in Mark 1.40 and so on, right in those verses, that Jesus is moved with pity. He's a man. He's an image bearer of God. He's a person. He knows the ruin of sin with this leprosy. Jesus is moved with pity. The man says, if you're willing, and Jesus says, I will be clean. He's restored. The kingdom of God is spreading. The glory of God is spreading. He has all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, all wisdom, all love. And it comes clothed that the kingdom of God is spreading through relationships. One last one, Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2. This time, it's the paralyzed man. (laughs) You remember, the place is packed out in the home, and there are three or four of his friends. His four friends have to start removing those tiles and some branches They're going to lower this man down on the mat. The place is packed out with people. Jesus is in their midst teaching, but they can't get in the door. Once again, it's his rule and authority and power and wisdom and love. He has all dominion. Rise, take up your mat, and go home. Walk. And the Son of Man has all rule and authority and power and wisdom and love upon earth. And so he says, Son, your sins are forgiven, which is easier for me to say. You remember that story. These snapshots help us to prepare that, to know that he came footstooling this earth. And he is head over the church. And he's head over all things unto the church. Isaiah chapter 53 gives us this kind of a summary. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? That's kingdom of God language. The arm of the Lord is the strength of the Lord. To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Now, you, can't, you cannot read Isaiah 53 without thinking about those episodes and those scenes in Mark 1. He has all rule and authority and dominion and power and wisdom and love. And in relationships, he comes to restore people to peace. Ultimately, it is his death upon the cross. That's the reference of Isaiah 53. But he comes to bear the burdens. In his daily life, his earthly ministry, he comes to enter into relationships. And he comes preaching grace and truth and power and wisdom and love. Repent and believe. 
that the kingdom of God is at hand. Has he footstooled you today? Are you sitting here this morning saying, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. You have subdued me. Your wisdom, your rule, your authority, your power, your love is mine. Is your life walking with him and showing that, that you're aiming to spread the glory of God? I like what one brother says. He's making more and more the earth the footstool of his feet. Are you expecting to see his glory spread? Do you expect to see the nations converted and baptized and taught to obey Christ? Do you believe that all of Christ's enemies will be made a footstool for his feet before he strikes down the last enemy, death? You see, this is the footstooling that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is carrying out. And he marshals you. He deploys you in such service. I talked to a man yesterday. He said, Brother Mark, I take the Lord's last words as truth. His words were, it is finished. This brother went on. And what we are doing is that we are carrying out the mop-up work. We're presenting grace and truth, spreading grace and truth, and the kingdom of God is expanding. That's it. Now, there is one in our story that we're going to introduce today, and his name is Levi. He is Exhibit 1A. Let's look at Levi for a few minutes. Look at verse 14. You remember? He's back near the sea. He's back once again teaching and instructing, and a crowd is nearby, verse 14. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Levi, exhibit 1A. <laughs> Relationships once again. Exhibit 1A. Levi is a good Jewish name. It probably points to the fact that Levi, we later come to learn of him as Matthew, um, Levi is likely somewhere in his background, his genealogical background, is from the tribe of Levi. Some association with the old, one of the tribes, one of the 12 tribes, the one named Levi, the tribe of Levi. And, and thereby he has in his background somewhere associations with the Levitical practices of the priesthood, priestly duties. Now remember, the Levites and the priests were about pursuing freedom and access and liberty. How? You would bring to them the goat, the lamb, the ram, and they would offer there upon the altar, and thereby God would declare by the offering of the substitute, the offering, there would be forgiveness of sins. There would be by the shedding of blood, there would then be access to the Holy of Holies. There would be access to the Holy One of God. There would be access and liberty and freedom, and the conscience cleared. God declared that the one who trusts in the Lord's promised word, the Lord's provision, that the, one, the animal sacrifice, there would be forgiven. 
there would be forgiveness. And we know that those animals were only for signifying the one who's the Lamb of God who would come and take, take away the sins of the world. But the whole point is there would be liberty and freedom and access. That's the backdrop of the Levitical priesthood. But Levi somewhere got mixed up. Somewhere along the line, he learned that rather than pursuing liberty and freedom and access and being a tool in the Lord's hands to communicate that liberty and freedom and access to Almighty God, he aligned himself with an enterprise of oppression and tyranny, the Romans. He's a tax collector. You see how it gets turned on its head. This world offered him much, much, much more, he thought. Tax collectors made sure they received their cut. They made bids on regions or locales. There were chief tax collectors like Zacchaeus, Luke 19. He's called a chief tax collector. They would win bids. They would win a certain area where they could set up their booth. Likely Levi is there in Capernaum. It's a nice fishing town, and taxes could easily be collected there in that fishing town of Capernaum. And the idea is that you win your bid to set up your booth in that area. You made sure you charged for the tax, but you charged a bit more. And we know that was the custom, right, to overcharge with respect to collecting taxes. Even Zacchaeus will tell the Lord in his, in his acts of repentance, remember what he says to the Lord, where I've defrauded those, if I've done so, I'll pay back fourfold. <laughs> you can see what they've been charging. So Levi is named a sinner. Levi is named now who aligns with the oppressive government, the Roman tyrannical government, with its oppressive measures for Israel. That's Levi. But the Lord Jesus comes across him and, pass, and, and passes by him and summons him to come and follow him. Amazing story. Here, Mark names him as Levi. But when you read the Gospel of Matthew, you will not read Levi. Matthew wants you to know that his name got changed. Matthew, it means a gift of God. Matthew, probably related to the word disciple, mathites, mathites. Matthew is a disciple. Don't know me as Levi. Do not know, no longer to know me as Levi. I'm Matthew, the gift of the Lord. God's given his gift to me. God has called me and summons me to be a disciple. He wanted to write his gospel to let the world know that Jesus is footstooling his own life. Just in brief, what about this calling into service? There's the outward call. That's where the gospel is being preached outwardly, generally being preached to every man, woman, and child. The outward call, the call of the gospel. The Bible also teaches us of the inward call, the specific call, the working upon the heart of a man. I like what old J.C. Ryle, the old Anglican bishop, says here. Without a divine call, without a divine call, no one can be saved. We are all so sunk in sin and so wedded to the world that we should never turn to God and seek salvation unless he first called us by his grace. That's Levi. God must speak to our hearts by his spirit before we ever speak to him. 
He often chooses those who seem most unlikely to do his will and furthest off from the kingdom. He draws them to himself with almighty power, breaks the chains of old habits and customs, and makes them new creatures. There you go. Today, this morning, sitting where you're, sitting where you're seated right here this morning, you tell the Lord, you tell him, Oh, Father, I am a sinner. I am need. I, I, I go my own ways. My propensity, my ways, my vulnerabilities is to go my own way. The Bible tells us anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Tell him of your sin. Tell him of your need. This is his gracious call to you. And of his spirit, he works in the heart. And he went, as Ryle says, he draws men to himself with almighty power. He breaks the chains of old habits and customs. And he makes them new creatures. One writer says, think about this, there was nothing in Matthew to explain his sudden willingness to believe and follow Jesus. Instead, the answer must be seen in the irresistible grace of God as the Holy Spirit applied Jesus' call with sovereign will and divine power. All power, all authority, all rule, all dominion and wisdom and love belongs to Jesus Christ. And you've been deployed to be his ambassadors. I close with uh, one, two, three, four, five quick, quick, very quick vignettes. The stories are real. The names are changed. Some of the circumstances are changed. But here you go. I pose first the question, who is in your life? Who are the web, who's in the web of your relationships? Are you praying for such ones around you? There's first, his name is Melvin. He worked as a machinist, a former Marine, and filled with, the, with pride of self-sufficiency. But he watched a co-worker named Ron. And watching that co-worker Ron, his life is changed by grace. There's Sarah. She was a single mother, two children. Her husband had left her. Insecurity and fear has constant, was constantly displayed on her face. But the local church ministered to Sarah, ministered to Sarah, and ministered to Sarah. All power and rule and authority and wisdom and dominion and wisdom and love clothed in relationships in the local church reaches out to Sarah and ministers to her. There's Michael and Sherloy. They were splitting up. Michael came to the elders. My wife has been seeing another man. And so then Samuel and Karen started Operation Love. Meals, hospitality, listening ears, and many tears. And there was restoration. Grace of God. Andrea. Andrea felt she couldn't trust men. She began to explore a lesbian relationship. She's a professing believer. There are talks and talks and talks and more talks. And there's a continual drifting away and deepening of sin. But God's grace goes deeper yet. And she's restored. All wisdom and power and rule and dominion and authority have been entrusted to our Savior, the Lord Jesus. 
Lastly, there's Riley. Riley was known for criticism. Criticism of all who were different. Criticism toward those with a weak theology. Criticism with those who just didn't measure up to what we commonly call reform standards. Criticism. And Riley watches a local church and the leadership of that local church. And Riley soon becomes a man who breaks down. I like what the proverb says. There are those who are clean in their own eyes, but are not washed of their filth. Proverbs 30, verse 12. What relationships are in your life? What is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of a good shepherd? How will your prayers be different this week? How will your life be different this week? Lord, send us. For you have all rule, authority, and all power. He has that name that is above every name, greater than every name in this age and the age to come. Go this week with his equipping and see the kingdom of God spread. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, you have condescended to us. For you, through your Son, you've shown us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And thereby, O God, you've taken our lives and you've set us upon the rock. You have commissioned us to bear forth witness and testimony, to spread the glory of our great God. And as we are enabled by your spirit to tell the good news, the kingdom of God has come. We ask for a deepening prayer life. We ask for a deepening life of purpose and resolve and renewal to be the church you have called us to be for Jesus Christ is the head and he does have all rule and authority and power take us use us O Lord and may the glory of our great God spread more and more heaven indeed is the throne of our God And this earth is his footstool. Lead us forth through Christ. And we ask now in Jesus' name, amen.